What's up guys, this is Taking the Field with Stevie Mac, and on this episode, I've got your week 4 PLL recap. So on this episode, we're going to start by getting some reactions from week 4 in the PLL from Long Island. I'll get your thoughts in the mix as well to lead off the show. Then I've got my winners and losers from week 4. Again, that's something we've done here the past few weeks on the podcast. I get your thoughts in on that as well. And then we're going to round out the show with the update weekly power rankings some movement going on there from this past weekend now that we're starting to get a much bigger picture of who these teams really are and where they kind of shake out compared to the rest of the league but before we jump right into it a quick update for you guys on where you can find the podcast moving forward if you're a little bit newer to the show it's on youtube spotify google and apple Podcasts, soundcloud and now it's on iheart radio so you can go check it out there as well you can check it out by searching taking the field with stevie mac also in the next couple weeks we'll be on TuneIn and pandora again sometime in the next few weeks so i'll update you guys on that once that happens but like i said just to, to start off the show here we'll get some thoughts and reactions to week four Just to give you some of my quick thoughts on each of the eight teams here in the PLL from week four, the Archers, I think, really blew a big opportunity this weekend. They had two games on Long Island this weekend, and I think for them, even taking one out of the two would have been good, but... 0-2 that weekend, going 0-2 was probably the worst case scenario, especially with that big game on Sunday afternoon against the Whipsnakes, which was a game that all week long was, was extremely hyped up, both by the league, but also by the fans as well on social media. That was the game that we all said was going to be a a very highly watched game. I even said it on Thursday going into the weekend that that was a game that everybody in the lacrosse community was going to make sure that they, they stopped what they were doing and tuned in to watch on the 4th of July. But again, like I said, I think going 0-2 for them that weekend was kind of the worst case scenario because now you're you're back down to that second place ranking behind the whip snakes the whip snakes back where they've almost always been aside from this past week which is that number one spot but um it's it's just wild to me to see that the the archers still have a plus 23 goal differential and they're not even the number one team in the league. So kind of a bizarre stat to look at there. But then you look at the Atlas and the Atlas are quickly becoming a very fun team to watch. And I think especially on the offensive end with the kind of firepower that they now possess guys like Teat, Caraway, Costabile, Romar, Dennis, all of a sudden just decided to decided to go off these past two weekends, uh, both in Baltimore and Long Island, I believe had a hat trick uh, this past weekend against the Chrome on Long Island. So they, they, they are just so fun to watch on offense and defensively have become a very solid team. I think again, struggled against the cannons back in week three in Baltimore, but 
still that individual performance by Rex Road, I think, kind of made up for it, made you feel a little a little bit better about the way that the defense played, at least in that game, but played really well against the Chrome, too. A, a Chrome team that came into that game very confident after beating the Whipsnakes and Archers in back-to-back games for them. So, again, just a very solid performance. And then in the fourth quarter, losing a guy like Ken Cannon, who's one of the the anchors and one of the leaders of that defensive unit, having J.D. Colarusso come in, didn't play spectacularly, but then again, they didn't really need him to, and I didn't really expect him to either, but got the job done in a really tough spot for the Atlas. Gave up those three goals, but I'll talk more about that uh, later on in the show. Gave up three goals, had two saves, but again, it, it was one of those situations where he made plays when they needed to be made and the defense played well in front of him I think gave up two goals earlier in that quarter and and I started to get a little bit nervous I'll admit but again they they got the job done and held on for that win pretty easily uh winning 16 to, to 10 in that one but the Water Dogs, I think, on the flip side, I mentioned how the Atlas have become one of the more fun teams to watch in the league. The Water Dogs, to me, on the flip side to that, have become almost unwatchable for me. And again, I'll talk more about them as we go throughout the show. But again, just the struggles you're seeing from them on defense and specifically in the cage with guys like Dylan Ward. I've talked about that uh, in past episodes plenty. And then offensively being one of the more inconsistent teams in the league. One game they're scoring seven, eight goals. The next game they're scoring 16 and still managing to lose that game against the Redwoods, even though they put up 16 goals. And again, that goes back to the defense. That goes back to their performance in the cage or lack thereof from guys like Dylan Ward, eventually pulling him in that game. Uh, When you look at the Chrome, the Chrome have now shown in those two games against the Archers and the Whipsnakes that they can play with the big boys for the most part. Again, obviously they lost to the Atlas, but but they're still, I think, at least getting something going from where they were those first few weeks when the injuries were just decimating them. Uh, the Chaos finally won some faceoffs and it led to a win in a game where it was one and three versus one and three, both teams, their backs sort of against the wall, both teams looking for a win to try and dig themselves out of a hole, try and give themselves something to work with moving forward these last few weeks of the regular season. And the chaos were able to to get it done. And again, Adler came up big for them on faceoffs. And that's something that I've said several times throughout the past few weeks is that whoever it was at at the stripe for them, whether it's Gallagher, whether it's Adler, whether they went out and brought somebody in from the player pool or whatever, they just needed to be better at the stripe than what they were. And Adler showed that he can still be a really solid faceoff guy in this league. Now coming over from the MLL showed us more of what we saw from him when he was in the MLL, uh, even just last year. So again, that was something really big for the chaos. Their ability to win faceoffs moving forward is going to determine the rest of their season, I think. And again, I'll talk more about them as we move throughout the show as well. 
But for me, the Cannons are likely battling with the Water Dogs just to make the playoffs at this point, not even to necessarily finish with a 500 or better record, but just to sort of backdoor their way into the playoffs and fighting for that seventh and final spot. But the Whip Snakes are back on top after winning a game late, just like they always do. But I mean, at least this time it was somebody other than Matt Rambo doing it as Carlson got that goal with 30 seconds to go to beat the Archers on Sunday. But again, they're back on top where they've almost always been outside of the past week between week three and four when the Archers occupied that top spot. But it's one of those situations where they are who we've always known they are. They're a, they're a really good team offensively. They're so tough to handle defensively. They're so physical. They'll they'll press out on you and make you make mistakes. They're just and you know Nardella at the faceoffs just ridiculously good. Um, outside of TD Erlin, who's just seemingly outperforming anything that Nardella does this year, kind of like anything you can do, I can do just a little bit better than you. And then the Woods win in a shootout against the Water Dogs, 1916, the final in that one, and they pull Tim Troutner in the process. This was an interesting weekend in the PLL, seeing some of these teams opt for their backups this weekend. I'm not sure what the decision was there with some of these clubs to do that. Some teams going with their backups from the jump with the Chrome playing Scanoni yesterday against the Atlas. Others opting to pull their goalie mid-game or late game, such as Dylan Ward being pulled, I believe, in the either at halftime or third quarter of that game. Also, Troutner in that same game getting pulled, so it was wild to see a game where both of the backups were were featured in the second half there. So yeah, just a weird weekend I think as far as that goes where they where half the league just decided they were going to give their backup a shot and uh obviously with Kincannon going out in the fourth quarter of their game on Sunday due to injury a, a little bit of a different scenario there but again just interesting to see that these teams almost all at once decided that this was the weekend they're going to make that move and go to their backup even if just for a half let's say but to get some of your thoughts in the mix from week four on Long Island in the PLL, Michael Ramirez on Twitter, good friend of the show, always has a lot of good stuff to say coming out of each and every PLL weekend. I, I meshed together a few of the comments that I got from him uh, prior to recording this episode on Twitter at Stevie Mac Media is my Twitter handle again at Stevie Mac Media. You can follow me there for all podcast and PLL related topics. You can hit me up there to give me your thoughts each and every week on the PLL. But just to get to what Michael said, he says Atlas is a pick your poison offense. Minimize the attackmen and the mids torch you with Costabile and Dennis. Cannon's got all the talent, but just can't put it all together. Minus the Cannon's record, Rabel definitely takes the spotlight here, passing the great John Grant. The real Max Adler finally stood up, and that's big for chaos. Despite losing twice, the Archers are still who we think they are, and the Whips aren't going anywhere soon. They are still the champs. What's up with the Chrome switching up in the cage, and any word on Kincannon? So like I said, I took a couple of his comments, meshed it all together. We're going to kind of go through and hash this thing out one by one. So he says, Atlas 
is a pick your poison offense. Minimize the attackman and the mids torch you with Costabile and Dennis. Yeah, I think that when you look at this Atlas offense, like I said before, they are becoming very fun to watch on the offensive end of the field because I've mentioned it in past episodes. They have the ability to take certain guys, whether it's Law, Caraway, Teat, whoever. They have the ability to carry their man to X clear everybody out and then let those guys go to work from X. And if they beat their guy one-on-one topside, they take the shot probably eight times out of 10. I I'd say they'll score that if they draw that slide, whether it comes from the crease or wherever they'll move it to the open guy and then they'll have the look. And again, probably seven or so out of 10 times they'll bury that look. So yeah, they're becoming very fun to watch because they can do stuff like that. But then also being able to utilize the two-man game, whether it's from X when you've got guys like Crawley and uh, Eric Law doing it from X, you've got it on the wing as well. Or doing it up top with guys like Jeff Teat and Mark Cockerton. You also have guys that have the ability to dodge from up top in the midfield, which is something that I think they struggled with during the championship series a year ago. Guys like Costabile and Romar Dennis have really shown their ability to do that these past couple games. Again, like I said, Romar Dennis really taking off these last two games, had a hat trick on Sunday against the Chrome. So yeah, they they do have a lot of different dimensions to this offense. They can beat you in a lot of different ways, and that does lead to the ability to sort of pick your poison, like Mike says, about how you want them to attack you. Cannon's got all the talent, but just can't put it all together. Yeah, I mean, anytime you win three games by one goal each, you're you're right there but the problem is there's always that one or two more plays that need to be made in order to flip that game in your favor and the cannons it seems like just haven't been able to do that so far it's always been the other team that's been able to make that one more play that really pushes the game in their favor uh, he says, minus the Cannons record, Rabel definitely takes the spotlight here, passing the great John Grant. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can you can do what he's done, and especially at this stage in his career, putting up the numbers that he's put up these first couple weeks of the season, and now being the number one guy in terms of career points, whether you want to argue that it's all of pro lacrosse or if it's just the field game, I'm not going to get into that on this episode that might be something that we can get into later but I'm not going to do that here but anytime you can put your name ahead of guys like John Grant Jr. and anybody else that's just below him now on that list you know you're one of the best to ever put on the pads to ever pick up a stick so yes obviously big congrats to to Rabel because the season's only halfway over he's still going to put up a few more numbers before the year's done and And we don't even know if this is going to be his last year or not. Somebody said on Twitter the other day, the way that he's playing this year, he could easily play till he's 40 or into his early 40s at this point, which I think is something that a lot of us would actually be interested to see. He says, the real Max Adler finally stood up and that's big for the chaos. Yeah, like I've said all along, their ability to win face-offs is going to dictate how they play moving forward because we saw how rough it was for them those first couple games when they had almost zero ability to win a face-off to save their life. Adler goes out there this past weekend, wins 65% of his face-offs, adding nine ground balls, a stellar performance for him and uh, raised his 
faceoff percentage for the season by a ton. So yeah, their ability to win faceoffs is going to be crucial for them moving forward. Uh, he says, despite losing twice, the archers are still who we think they are and the whips aren't going anywhere soon. Yeah, I mean, a tough weekend for the archers for sure, but you can't totally knock them down just for one weekend. They're still as good as we know they are offensively. They're, they still possess ridiculous amount of firepower defensively. I still think this is one of the better defenses that Chris Bates has had since the PLL was formed in 2019. So yeah, this, this team has a lot going for them. I'm not sure what the decision again, like I said, a, a weird week in the PLL with teams opting to go with their, with their backup goalies. So I'm not sure what the decision was to play Drew Adams on Friday and not have Gittleman in that game. Not sure if he's banged up or whatnot, or they just wanted to give him a bit of a break. But when when Gittleman is performing at the level that he was going into that game, I'm not sure why you would would sit him in that game. Maybe they, they didn't see Chrome as much of a threat and they were more focused on the game on Sunday against the Whipsnakes. I don't know. But again, just kind of a weird situation that developed this weekend in the PLL. And he says, what's up with the Chrome switching up in the cage? I think that one more so than the Gittleman thing. That one was more so maybe just giving a guy like Sean Scannoni an opportunity. He's been the backup now for the first several weeks of the season. And he was, I believe, the two-time MLL goalie of the year during his time in the MLL. So yeah, I think that one was more just giving him the opportunity to go out there and actually play more so than I, I question the move with not playing Gittleman on Friday night. And then he says, any word on Jack Kincannon? At the time of recording this episode, no, I haven't seen anything specifically that says what his what his problem is. But what we know from watching the game on Sunday is that it's some sort of a lower body injury that he sustained during the game. We don't know if he'll be out for an extended period of time. I really hope not because he's one of those guys that's going to be key for the Atlas this second half of the season as they're now in that top four in the league standings. And I think that he's going to be a big part of keeping them in that top four and maybe making a play to even get into the top three these last couple weeks. So yeah, hopefully his injury is nothing too significant. But when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, segment two on taking the field with Stevie Mack, we're going to get to the week four winners and losers. I'll give you mine. And also we got a couple comments from that from this past weekend on Long Island. So we'll get to that here in just a second, but you're listening to Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. All right, welcome back. Taking the Field with Stevie Mack, segment two. I said before the break, we'll get into the week four winners and losers from this past weekend. So my winners here are Paul Rabel and Max Adler. I'll explain those in a second. My losers are the Cannons and the Archers. So to get to my winners, Paul Rabel leads all middies in points with 19 and goals with 12, and he's shooting 45% on the year. And he's shown that he could probably play, like I said in segment one, he showed that he can probably play until he's 40, like somebody mentioned the other day on Twitter. 
And the offense that the Cannons have really allows him to play a complementary role within that system. He doesn't have to be one of their primary options, one of their primary playmakers. He can just kind of sit back, watch guys like Lyle do their thing, watch Drenner do his thing, Q, Rafis, whoever. And then he can just kind of be there when they need him, when they need a play to be made, when, when they need a a play late in the shot clock or something, but he can be sort of that secondary guy to some of them. So he doesn't have to do it all himself like he might have had to do in the past with a team like the Atlas. And he's really having one of the best seasons that he's had in the PLL by far, and now he's the all-time points leader passing John Grant Jr. But he, like I said, he's able to sit back and really wait for the opportunities to present themselves, especially when drawing that shorty matchup. I, I remember back to week three when they played the Atlas. He had a shorty on him early on in the game. He split dodges, scores, first goal of the game. And from almost that point on, he had a pull on him basically the rest of the game. But that's the kind of thing that he can bring to this offense where he's going to get that shorty on him. He's what, 6'3", 220, something like that. So he's a, a fast physical guy. He can overpower some of those matchups and he's going to go out there and be productive when he faces those kinds of matchups. But when you look at a guy like Max Adler, he faced off at 38% in his first two games going just 18 of 47. And in their win over the Cannons, he completely flipped the script. He won 17 faceoffs in that game alone. Again, had 18 his previous two games, had 17 in that win against the Cannons, going 17 for 26 and adding a season-high nine ground balls. So again, a big reason why the Cannons were able to pull that game out in week four. And he looked more like his old self from what we saw during his time in the MLL, but the Cannons had also been struggling at the stripe this season, and it doesn't look like, at least in that game, that Peyton Smith made a ton of difference, going just 38% in that in his first game with the Cannons after being picked up from the player pool. So it'll be interesting to see if that performance can sort of spark Adler against better teams like the Whip Snakes, like Trevor Baptiste in the Atlas, like the the Redwoods and TD Erlin moving forward if and when he gets the chance to go up against some of those guys. But my losers from the weekend are the Cannons and the Archers. So the game between the Chaos and the Cannons was two teams just trying to avoid falling to one and four on the year and possibly taking themselves out of playoff contention the second half of the season. But this was a game where the Cannons would simply be searching, I think, for some way to turn their season around. Again, three losses by one goal. And uh, the Chaos were just looking to win back-to-back -back games and, and, and really generate some momentum going towards the second half of the season. And Again, thanks in, in, I think, large part to the play of Adler dominating at the stripe. The Chaos were able to pull that game out after trailing at the half. And when you look at the remaining schedules for these two teams, the Chaos and the Cannons, the Chaos remaining schedule is the Atlas, and then after the All-Star break, they have the Chrome. And then in the final week, they play the Archers and the Redwoods. So I would predict, if I had to predict right here, right now, I would guess that they'll go two and two in those games and finish with an overall record of four and five. 
So that probably puts them around the, I would say probably like the six or seven seed in the postseason. The Cannons, though, remaining schedule is the Water Dogs and Archers in week five. Then post All-Star break, they have the Atlas. And in the final week, they have the Chrome. And again, just like with the Chaos, I would I, I would guess they'll go two and two in those games and finish with a three and six overall record. And potentially, depending on what the Water Dogs do the second half of the season, potentially seeing the Cannons miss the playoffs as that eighth ranked team. Again, the number one team gets a bye and the eighth ranked team misses the playoffs altogether. So it'll be interesting to see, I think, between the Cannons and the Water Dogs, which one sort of fights their way out of last place to avoid missing the playoffs here in about a month or so. And then when you look at the Archers, again, like I said in segment one, worst case scenario for them this weekend was going 0-2 as they played the Chrome and the Whipsnakes. Again, that, that game on Sunday against the Whipsnakes was a very highly anticipated game. A lot of people were were hyping it up on Twitter this week. And again, like I said, I think that was a game that anybody in the lacrosse community made sure that they tuned in to watch at least kind of even just watching in and out, kind of going in and out. I know it was 4th of July, so people had things going on, but you you made it a point to at least check in on that game a few times here and there. So the Archers are my other loser for the week because of going 0-2 after spending the previous week as the number one team in the league um, with the with the Whipsnakes dropping to number two. So Coach Shrek, real quick, on Twitter, again, at Stevie Mac Media is my Twitter handle if you want to hit me up for any show-related stuff around the PLL. But Coach Shrek says his winners are Max Adler dominating the faceoff X, Redwood's midfield production, and Rabel surpassing John Grant Jr. His losers are the Cannons still looking to find a way to win, the Water Dogs goalie play, and Archers coming out of the weekend with zero wins. So yeah, just to go over his winners that he has again, Max Adler, a big reason why that the Chaos were able to pull that game out was because of his performance at the stripe. The Redwoods midfield production, yeah, anytime you've got guys like Perkovic, Miles Jones, Henningberg running with the middies now, having a group like that is always going to be a strength of your team, I think, and this offense had struggled lately with some turnover problems, but I think that that unit in particular played a lot better in their game against the Water Dogs, and, you know, maybe take it for what it is against a team like the Water Dogs, who's definitely struggling right now defensively. And then Rabel passing John Grant Jr., yeah, obviously that's a, a big thing for the game of lacrosse, obviously a big thing for the league itself. And for a guy like Rabel, for what he's done for the sport of lacrosse, especially at the pro level, seeing him now in that top spot is definitely a great thing. His losers, the Cannons, yeah, like I said, it's it's been tough for them losing those games by one goal, but with the players that they have, the kind of roster that they have assembled, you would expect them to be a lot better than one in four on the year, regardless of how maybe they've gotten there. The Water Dogs goalie play, and I would say their defense just in general, has been very poor this year. They've given up about 18 goals a game over their last two, so definitely not getting the job done, especially when your offense goes out against the Redwoods, puts up 16 goals, and you still find a way to lose that game. 
Then the Archers coming out of the weekend 0-2. Yeah, like I said before, that was kind of worst case scenario for the Archers this weekend was to not get a single win. Whether it was against the Whipsnakes or Chrome doesn't matter. You just had to go out there and win one of the two and they didn't get the job done. So we've got one more segment to go. It's the updated power rankings through week four in the PLL. Some shakeup throughout the rankings. We'll get to that in just a second, though. You're listening to Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. Welcome back. Taking the field with Stevie Mac. Final segment of the show. We'll update the weekly power rankings here on the podcast to jump right into it. The whip snakes back on top at number one. They were banged up in week three with no Zed and no Matt Rambo. And this week they won the game. <clears throat> excuse me. They won the game of the week against the archers. In late game fashion, in whip snakes fashion, a late goal to be pushed back four and one on the year through their first five games. A really good response from them. Obviously, getting a guy like Zed back in the lineup definitely helped. But again, you were still missing Rambo, but that was a very solid bounce back win by the whip snakes. Again, in whip snakes fashion, scoring late. But uh, back where they, they've almost always been, which is that top spot. The Archers come back in at number two. They were number one for a week in the standings, but had a tough go in week four, again, going 0-2 on the weekend. But from what I think a lot of us have seen from them, you can't really not put the Archers at two because we know who the Archers are. We know who they can be when they are on, especially on the offensive side of the field. And I think one bad week doesn't really change that a whole lot. Number three, I've got the Atlas. I really found their win against the Chrome to be more impressive, in my opinion, than what the Woods were able to do against the Water Dogs this weekend. So that's why I still have the Atlas above the Redwoods here. I think especially in that fourth quarter when Kincannon went out with the injury and Cola Russo had to come in in relief of him. I teased on Twitter, too, that prior to recording this episode that I had an interesting statistic that I wanted to share here on the podcast, and here it is. The Atlas are averaging 14.25 goals a game over their last three weeks of the season, which is which spans four games. Okay, so in the last four games, they're averaging 14.25 goals a game. They're also tied for first with Chaos with six two-point goals. So one thing that I think is really interesting here is that the Atlas's 14.25 goals a game over the last three weeks, if you go back and look at it, is actually the most is is the highest average of any team in the league over that span. Now, you have to take it for maybe with a grain of salt because the Redwoods and the Cannons have played one less game than the other teams because they had the two games in week one. But in that span, the last three or four games, the Atlas have the highest goals per game average in that span at just over 14 per game. Nobody else, I believe, if I if I remember correctly when I did the math, nobody else averaged over 14 goals a game during that same period. 
but the Redwoods I have at number four. I said that the Atlas win in week four was more impressive to me than what the Redwoods did by out shooting the Water Dogs, but it's also hard for me, I think, to put the Redwoods over the Atlas when the Atlas beat them in a head-to-head matchup back in week two. Plus, Nat St. Laurent pulled Tim Troutner by choice, whereas Ben Rubior had no choice but to put J.D. Colarusso in on Sunday afternoon against the Chrome when Kincannon went down with his injury. And while we can talk about things like T.D. Erland leading the league in faceoffs, the Woods are still 1-2 in their last three games with a goal differential of minus two, and their lone win came against the current seventh place team in the league in the Water Dogs in what ended up being a shootout. It's not like they beat them convincingly by, you know, five, six goals, whatever. They beat them in a 19-16 shootout where neither team really played all that well at the defensive end of the field. Number five, I've got the Chrome because the Chrome took down back-to-back number one teams in the Whipsnakes and the Archers and looked pretty darn good doing it too. But they're still below 500 after falling to the Atlas on Sunday. And the offense, I think, has really come to life, especially a guy like Colin Heacock the last several games. He was one of those guys, along with Justin Gutterding, that I said had to get going in order for this Chrome offense to really start to realize its potential, even with the injuries that they've sustained on the offensive side of the field. Getting guys like him and Gutterding going was going to be crucial for that Chrome offense, and he's really come to life here in these last couple games. And a guy like Jackson Morrill is probably one of the favorites, I would guess, to win Rookie of the Year alongside T.D. Erlin. although I would also say that guys like Jake Carraway and Jeff Teat will make that race just that much more interesting, but we'll talk about that more in uh, future episodes once we get towards the end of the regular season. But going back to the Chrome, the Chrome defense has also looked really good their last couple games, giving up just 9.67 goals a game over their last three. I mean, you look back at the games against the Whipsnakes and the Archers, they gave up less goals in those two games combined than they did on Sunday against the Atlas, giving up 16. So they've just been playing so well defensively these last couple weeks, again, averaging under 10 goals against over their last three. The Chaos come in at number six, winners of two straight, and Adler finally figuring out how to win faceoffs against some of these guys in the PLL. Again, a little bit different between the MLL and the PLL. I believe even the rules in both those leagues are slightly different. So, Again, a, a little bit of a, a learning curve possibly for for a guy like Adler, but definitely seems like he figured it out this weekend against the Cannons. I, again, like I said earlier in the show, Cannons maybe not the best way to judge how well he really did because the, the Cannons were just as bad prior to this weekend in terms of face-off percentage. But the Chaos also have a lot of things, I think, going for them. And faceoff was one of the few things really holding them back because if Adler can win faceoffs more consistently, which in that game alone, he raised his percentage by 10% uh, in that one game alone, then the chaos can really make a move, I think, the second half of the season because they already possess the number one goalie statistically in the league and the number three defense in the PLL as well. So a lot of their issues came via the stripe. Number seven, I have the Cannons because while the Cannons are actually ranked eighth with their one and four record, 
the water dogs have really underwhelmed me this year and I'll talk about them more in a second but the cannons have three losses by one goal each and they've really struggled to win faceoffs, much like the chaos prior to this weekend and the offense can score with just about anybody in the league but the defense has really been inconsistent at times giving up what was it 18 against the atlas when their offense scored 17 without Lyle Thompson scoring a single goal in that one. So their defense, I think, has definitely let them down at times, especially in performances like that where the offense really did their part to be able to try and give them the best opportunity to win that game. So I I have the Cannons at 7. And number 8 to round out this week's power rankings, the Water Dogs. The Water Dogs and Cannons are flipped for me where I have them in the power rankings versus where they are in the current PLL standings. But the Water Dogs to me have been very underwhelming in 2021. The defense ranks last, as does their goaltending play, specifically with uh, Dylan Ward in the cage. They're sixth in the league in faceoff percentage and total offense. So again, they're not statistically one of the better teams in the league right now, which is why they're near the bottom of the standings and why they're eighth in my in my power rankings. But the lone bright spot appears to be their penalty kill, where they're second in the league at 78%. Because even, again, at faceoff, where I've said Jake Withers has done really well this season, they're still sixth in that category in the league. So towards the bottom third, bottom half of the league in faceoff percentage, but their lone bright spot, like I said, is probably their, their penalty kill, which is second in the league. But in their last two games, the water dogs defense has given up 36 goals, which averages out to 18 per game. So again, not getting the job done on the defensive half of the field that has to be better for them moving forward. Or just like I said earlier in the show, they're really competing at this point with the cannons to not miss the playoffs. They're really trying. They're really going to have to push to, to see which one of them gets that seventh spot in the playoffs and which one is sitting eighth just on the outside while the others are while the other seven are participating in the postseason. So that'll do it for this episode of Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. Make sure to like, comment, and share on this post. Again, you can check out the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including now iHeartRadio. You can follow the show there as well. In addition to YouTube, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, the list goes on and on. Just search Taking the Field with Stevie Mac, and you can find us just about anywhere. But that'll do it for me. I'll talk to you guys later.